Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Professor Daryl Bach, in his commentary on Luke, writes this. It's easy to assume that questions about resurrection and life after death are modern concerns. Surely only the Enlightenment's empiricist tendencies led to such doubts. Weren't the ancients all very open and malleable when it came to the supernatural? The theological controversy presented to Jesus next shows how wrong such thinking about the ancient world is. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where... We read together every word of God's revelation of himself, you and me, conversationally, and we consider our own life and work stories in light of that. Uh, after this long journey southward, in the book of Luke, right, end of chapter 9 all the way through chapter 19, Jesus has deliberately entered Jerusalem as the Messiah, and his actions and teachings in the temple have thrown down the gauntlet, so to speak, to the religious authorities of Jerusalem. Now they take up the challenge. Along the way, listen for the story of the Sadducees. We'll get to that whole resurrection and people believing that stuff momentarily. Luke chapter 20. One day, as he was teaching people in the temple and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came and said to him, Tell us. By what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they're convinced John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know its origin. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to tenant farmers, and went away for a long time. After harvest time, or at harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers so that they might give him some fruit from the vineyard. But the farmers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent yet another servant, and they beat up that one too, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, and they wounded this one too and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What should I do? I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw him, they discussed it among themselves and said, This is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those farmers and give the vineyard to others. But when they heard this, they said, That must never happen. Jesus looked at them and said, Then what is the meaning of this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. 
Then the scribes and chief priests looked for a way to get their hands on him that very hour because they knew he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. They watched closely and sent spies who pretended to be righteous so that they could catch him in what he said to hand him over to the governor's rule and authority. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you don't show partiality but teach truthfully the way of God. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But detecting their craftiness, he said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? Caesar's, they said. Well then, he told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. They were not able to catch him in what he said in public and being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Pause. (laughs) I learned something as I was doing some poking for uh, today's session. Um, In that parable, you know, the word image there harkens back or or alludes to us being made in the very image of God, right? What is the money made in the image of? Caesar. Who are you made in the image of? God, right? Interestingly, I learned that many rabbinic, uh, as part of the rabbinic tradition, thought that it was therefore idolatry to even touch or handle Roman coinage. I'm sure it's not everybody, but stick with me here. This is this was new to me. Interestingly, then Jesus's question to them, show me a denarius, actually then showed them up to be having having one on their person. They they were carrying one. <laughs> ah, Jesus, I love you, buddy. You're so awesome. All right, friends, here is the um, next section. And it begins, some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came up and questioned him. But remember, the Sadducees were aristocratic. Broadly speaking, they were like hyper-conservative in the sense that theologically, in the sense that they only ascribed to the Pentateuch. Right, the first five books of the Bible, what you and I have been reading, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But they don't believe in the supernatural, which is a very modernist kind of thing, right? In a contemporary sense, the people who don't believe in a supernatural tend to be just naturalistic and eschew ideas of God and demons and miracles or anything like that. And that was very much a turn in history in the 17th, 18th century coming out of the Enlightenment. Now, I say that because um, in the sense that modernist religion abandons any supernatural beliefs and keeps only moralism, then the Sadducees were modernists. Actually, not unlike today. That also an idea from Daryl Bach. I say that because this is such a powerful story, right? Um I'm going to be really careful here because we don't talk politics here, but very broadly speaking, the evolution of liberalism, which has evolved quite a lot from the original sense of what liberalism was to what contemporary liberalism is politically, which is different than theologically, though there are some relations. But very broadly speaking, when people chip away at the Bible, 
it tends to be at the supernatural. Oh, Jonah didn't get swallowed by a whale. You know, that's just an allegory. You with me? Nobody throws out, I mean, even in the church, people don't just throw out the Bible wholesale to begin with. What they do is they start chipping away and going, oh, well, it can't really, they didn't really mean that that's what the Bible said about sexuality or whatever. You with me? So that's kind of the context of the Sadducees here, right? They're wealthy. They aren't very religious, at least not in in the sense of having a heart truly devoted to God. And now we pick back up in Luke chapter 20. I don't normally do that level of commentary in the middle, but it just sets up this really well. And more importantly, there's some really deep stuff here. Luke 20, picking up in verse 27. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came up and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother has a wife and dies childless, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took the wife and died without children. Also the second and the third took her. In the same way, all seven died and left her no children. Finally, the woman died too. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For all seven had married her. All right, pause before Jesus answers. You see what we're, what they just did? We already know that they don't believe in a resurrection or life after death. And this is a, a deeper version of what we were just reading, which is the attempt to trip up Jesus. Okay? Oh, by the way, that whole marriage thing, it was called Leverite marriage. It was part of the Old Testament law. So when they say Moses, they mean when Moses is shorthand for that first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy, and part of that means by which God provided for preserving tribal unity and and cohesion was, hey, brother dies, uh, you know, so you go in and are a sperm donor, but it's the, your brother's son, not your son. You with me? Okay. Continuing. So he married, they make up this story. Whose wife will the woman be in the resurrection is their question. They think the punchline that's going to deliver him the death blow. And here we go. Jesus told them. The children of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God, since they are children of the resurrection. Moses even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. All, because all are living to him. And some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. And they no longer dared to ask him anything. I'll say this one thing before we finish out chapter 20. We're going to spend a lot of time in Luke today because it's a long chapter anyway. Elsewhere in the that narrative in the other gospels, it actually goes on to point out that Jesus said, you don't know your scripture or the power of God, right? And that actually, my friends, is a killer point for us to remember 
right? Whether it's somebody outside the church or even somebody inside the church, you're talking about the God who created the entire cosmos. And if you really believed that, well, then couldn't he raise somebody from the dead or cause a virgin birth or something of that nature? And that's the power of God. But more importantly, or as importantly, what Jesus does is he affirms the truthfulness of the original five books of the Bible. And elsewhere, he affirms the divine inspiration and authority of all of the Old Testament. But importantly, he actually goes back to them and beats them over the head with their own Bible, going, you don't even believe your own Bible. So there you go. That is a lot more commentary than I... You can tell I read too many commentaries before we kicked things off. All right, we're going to read. Then he said to them, How can they say that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David calls him Lord. How then can the Messiah be his son? While all the people were listening, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive the harsher judgment. All right, my friends, that is a long chapter 20 and way too much a Roger, given this is a first and foremost a Bible reading program, not a Bible teaching program. doesn't mean I don't love to teach the Bible, or probably what it demonstrates is that I love teaching Bible too much. Did you catch that very last line? These will receive the harsher judgment. It's really, really, really important. Uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but there was a major, really popular um, Foursquare pastor who recently parted ways with the denomination over something that really indicates he's going the wrong way theologically. Good news is congratulations to the Foursquare folks for upholding doctrinal integrity. But that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Here's this popular pastor who now begins leading people astray. These will receive the harsher judgment, according to Jesus' own words. All right, turning back to our Old Testament segment, we're going to knock out one chapter of Deuteronomy. Uh, Chapter 18, Provisions for the Levites. The Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, will have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They will eat the Lord's food offerings. That is their inheritance. Although Levi has no inheritance among his brothers, the Lord is his his inheritance as he promised him. This is the priest's share from the people who offer a sacrifice, whether it's an ox, sheep, or goat. Priests are to be given the shoulder, jaws, and stomach. You are to give him the first fruits of your grain, new wine, and fresh oil, and the first sheared wool of your flock. For the Lord your God has chosen him and his sons from all your tribes to stand and minister in his name from now on. When a Levite leaves one of your towns in the in Israel, where he was staying and wants to go to the place the Lord chooses, he may serve in the name of the Lord his God like all his fellow Levites who minister there in the presence of the Lord. They will eat equal portions besides what he has received from the sale of the family estate. 
Next section, occultic practices versus prophetic revelation. My friends, how do you know? Here's a question for you. How do you know if a prophet is truly giving you the words of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. No one among you is to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire, practice divination, tell fortunes, interpret omens, practice sorcery, cast spells, consult a medium or a spiritist, or inquire of the dead. Everyone who does these acts is detestable to the Lord, and the Lord your God is driving out the nations before you because of these detestable acts. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Though the, the, these nations you are about to drive out listen to fortune tellers and diviners, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. Listen to this, my friends. This is um, in Acts chapter 7. Stephen explicitly affirms a couple of the lines in this next section here as pointing to Jesus, right? This is Jesus, the new Moses. Continuing, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from, your, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. And then the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I commanded him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. But the prophet who presumes to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. You, must say, you may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And if I remember right, my friends, I think Deuteronomy was the... Was the Pentateuch book that Jesus quoted more than anyone else, or more than any other. All right, our wisdom segment today is a little bit out of Proverbs chapter 15, picking up in verse 30. Bright eyes cheer the heart. Good news strengthens the bones. The one who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. The reflections of the heart belong to mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. I think that's a great place to leave it, my friends. All the person's ways, all a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. 
Lord God, I would imagine that uh, none of us can stand, and I particularly cannot stand before a perfect and holy God and have you weigh my motives. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that I say here today or ever that is off topic or out of bounds, Lord, that you would, in your grace, just strike it from the memories of those listening. But Lord, whatever truth here is to be known, would you impress it on the hearts of the person listening right now? Would you help this sink deeply? Lord, help us to walk in the humility that is befitting honoring you. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.